The Queen's Jewish Link presents the Jewish Living Podcast, the show that examines the many facets of Orthodox Jewish life. Here's your host, Izzo Zwerin. Last week on this show, we discussed the fight for Agunos. The truth is that while certainly tragic, the total number of Agunos is really just a tiny fraction of the number of people who get divorced. That's why we thought it would be a good idea to invite someone on who works to help divorcing couples get through their situation as smoothly and inexpensively as possible. I'm Betzalel Rothstein. I'm a mediator and divorce coach for Shalom Family Mediation. Betzalel and I will discuss just how divorce mediation works, how it can help transition people from married to single, and of course its implications for Judaism-specific issues. So, Batal, thank you so much for joining me this week. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, I'd like to get a little bit of a background first on you and then on a bunch of other things, which we'll get into. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you get into uh, divorce mediation. So I, I got into divorce mediation because uh, I myself went through a divorce. Um, I'm remarried now, uh, coming up on, uh, I think, on my 10th anniversary. Very nice. Uh, my wife also went through a divorce. My parents went through a divorce. My wife's parents went through a divorce. My mother's parents went through a divorce. Um, and and my wife's parents also went through a divorce. So there's just been a lot of divorce in my life. And I've seen the damaging effects that divorce has, um, sometimes more, sometimes less. But um, I've really, in the last, I would say, five or six years, been studying heavily um, on divorce outcomes and how it affects children. And I became very motivated to help people to divorce better. And that journey of helping people to divorce better has led me to the professions of mediation and coaching. All right. So uh, just on a basic level, just before we get into mediation and and what Shalom Family Mediation, which is your company, does, um, my, my overarching issue with divorce is as follows when when people get married there's a whole bunch of prep work leading up to it there's you know there's custom kala classes there could be uh some therapy if that's if that's needed or wanted um then there's on the practical side there's insurances and make sure you have an apartment and uh, and and you know finances to and there's a lot of things that lead up to the marriage part of of life Nobody is, prepares themselves for a divorce until it happens, until it gets to the point where we have to, you know, go down that road. Um, is that something that should be corrected, or is that something that we have to just live with the way it is as it is now? It's an excellent question. I just want to touch on something that you brought up. You talked about a lot of the preparation that goes into the wedding itself. The, the Hassan classes, the Kala classes, the apartment, the this, that, the other thing. But one thing that I don't know if, if uh, which I, I don't think you mentioned, which probably is the most critical element of all, is marriage, like basic marriage skills, relationship skills. Uh, where are those being taught? I, I'm not seeing that, you know, Hassan and Kala classes are really um, encompassing the basic relationship skills getting accustomed to living together with someone right. um, you know things like exploring um people to address what their own personal basic needs are in a marriage it's like for example somebody goes out 
on the dating market and they're they have a checklist of what they're looking for in their spouse but how many people actually have a checklist really of what they themselves are about and i don't know that that people have that kind of a clarity so as we talk about preparing for marriage or preparing for divorce so number one is you know who who are the people who are the players in the transaction that that we're talking about there's a there's a, a great cliche in the uh, mediation world that says 10% of conflict is because of difference of opinion and 90% is wrong tone of voice mm. so how th- th- there's so many cases in a marriage where there are fights that never had to happen. There are conflicts in the marriage that never had to happen. And as you know, when I when I get a when I get a couple that is thinking about getting divorced, the first thing that I'm doing with them is, how did we get here? You know, and and this kind of opens the door into really addressing your your point about preparing somebody for a divorce. You have some people that they they're just not actually emotionally ready for divorce by the time that they are are going through it. And there needs to be that, that preparation um, for the divorce emotionally, financially, logistically. Um, I, I, I heard some remarkable statistics about what happens with your, your average from man after a divorce you know for you know there's a wonderful organization called sister to sister and really provides excellent support for women that go through divorce Um, there's not really a similar organization out there for men there are a lot of men who get divorced and and they kind of just fall through the cracks and they're left to fend for themselves and they're not they're just not ready to uh to handle life on their own so to speak and so they end up um, you know, just getting diverted by all kinds of distractions that end up having a negative impact on their life. Now, I will say that that is not something that is unique to a divorce community. I don't call it a community, but uh, men support groups that aren't as as prominent as women's. I, I belong to a uh, a workout group. And the vast majority, I think me and there's one other guy on it, and then everybody else is women. Um, it, it It just seems that it's more of, something that attract that is attractive to to females than to males in my opinion in my in my experience even not just in a in a divorce uh, setting but in a lot of other settings as well yeah I mean it's, it's, I think it speaks to an overarching just uh you know paradigm that men in general are not as effective when it comes to asking for help as women are right I mean you know just think about when was the last time you asked for directions? I know that I don't ever ask for directions. Right. Sometimes I don't even want to use GPS, especially if my wife's in the car. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> but uh, but but the bottom line is that something that I learned through through my own journey of divorce and remarriage was that it's really important to ask for help when you don't know the answer. It's really important to admit that you don't know the answer. In fact, listen, I would say that that women would probably find it very attractive to see a man who's willing to ask for help. You know, to, it, it shows it shows humility, it shows uh, a certain softness. I mean, even though, you know, the, the, the stereotype is that, that women want the, you know, want macho masculine type of men, but being 
comfortable in your own skin, uh, to me, that is the strongest, highest level of, of masculinity that I can have. It doesn't right. have to be, I don't have to be aggressive. You know, that's, that's, that's not going to be very appealing. You know, and similarly, let me just segue here. When it comes to a couple that's going through a divorce, um, it's, it's really, it, it is a time for people to be expressing understanding to each other rather than expressing aggression to each other. But what happens is that it's such an emotionally charged transaction. It's such an emotionally charged transition that very often people that are going through a divorce are making decisions based on emotion rather than decisions that are based on on rational, logical reason, sensibility. So it's really important to look at who are people seeking help from? Who are the advisors that people turn to when it comes to going through a divorce. So for example, is it, it's, it's parents very often, uh, very often it might be a rabbi, very often it might be a lawyer. Um, in a lot of cases, if you seek help from a rabbi, when it comes to a divorce, the rabbi might refer you to a lawyer because the rabbi might say, listen, I, I am not an expert in child support and alimony and custody, any of these topics, but so-and-so who is a member of our Kahila happens to be a matrimonial attorney, you should go talk to so-and-so. You know, the parents, you know, certainly are, are, are stakeholders in the transaction, siblings, friends, all these other people. So, you know, when you think about it, what do your parents really know about divorce? Hopefully they never had to go through it themselves. And if they didn't go through it themselves, like, what do they know from it? You know, if you go to uh, an attorney, an attorney might be an expert in legal practice, um, but what kind of experience does this attorney have in life after divorce? Uh, what kind of expertise does the attorney have in child psychology? So what's the attorney's interest? What, what kind of advice are you getting? You have friends. So if you have friends who went through a divorce, was their divorce peaceful? Was it hostile? Was it quick? Was it lengthy? Do you want the kind of divorce that they had? Do you want to have a different kind of divorce? Um, you know, all the all these things have to go into consideration when you're looking at who are you at seeking advice from, which is where uh, the role of a divorce coach theoretically would come in. Um, you know, I think that there's there's this problem, so to speak, that people think that a a coach is a luxury, or at least certainly I'm finding that as a uh, as as a, an, an attitude that that we're trying to change with respect to divorce, you know, people are getting accustomed to having life coaches, nutrition coaches, dating coaches, marriage coaches, coaches for everything. Well, I mean, there should also be coaches for divorce, right? Because right. this way you're getting counsel from somebody who's actually made you're actually making a personal connection with somebody who who has training in. Um, in divorce outcomes, in in personalities, you know, things that that are very relevant to someone who's going through a divorce. So that leads us to exactly what you do. So first of all, mediation. For those of us who have not, who have, who have, who have had the luxury of not going through a divorce, we're kind of in the dark about this. So what is mediation? Um, let's start with, with, Matt, with, with divorce mediation, because that's basically what we've been talking about now. So what is divorce mediation? I tell my clients that one of the things that I love about my job as a mediator is that I don't have the burden of making decisions about who's telling the truth, who's not telling the truth, 
what's in the kid's best interest, what's not in the kid's best interest. The mediator is not a judge. The mediator, the, as, as I see it, based on my own personal training, and, and there's there's different schools of, of thought in the practice of mediation, as with any other profession, I see myself as a referee or as a facilitator of dialogue between a husband and a wife that are looking to dissolve their marriage. I'm, I don't know their kids. I don't know them. But I, I do know divorce. I do understand people. And I, and I understand negotiation skills. And so therefore, what I'm looking to do is to help people um, disentangle their emotional charges from the process so that they can make decisions about their future and the future of their children instead of from the emotional place, the hurt, the pain, the fear, uh, with logical, rational ideas about, okay, well, what do I really want to have happen? What do I want my life to look like after the divorce? So the mediator does not have any authority to make any rulings on, uh, you know, this is how much child support you should pay. This is how much parenting time you should have. This is who should be the, the primary parent. Then this is to be the secondary. This is where the kids should go to school, et cetera, et cetera. All those decisions are actually agreed upon by the parents themselves, by the husband and wife themselves as they go through the divorce rather than, than by the mediator or by a judge. And that's one of the beauties of mediation. I, I tell people, I said, do you want to have, do you want to be empowered to make these decisions about your future and the future of your children? Or do you want those decisions to be made by the people in the black robes? And, you know, when, when it's framed in such a way, very often you'll see somebody will, will take a deep breath. And they'll think less about dragging their soon-to-be ex-spouse through the mud and more about things that really, really matter to them. Now, is the goal of mediation to avoid the court process? Is the goal of mediation to make it as amicable as possible? Is What, what is the actual goal of it? All of the above. All of the above. And, and I'm assuming that your fees are going to be lower than a lawyer's fees. So the more this time they spend with you, maybe the less time they spend with the lawyers. hundred percent. That's also accurate, right? Yes. Yes. And as well, I would also very often, I, I encourage my clients to, uh, to get themselves a divorce coach. Also keep in mind as a mediator, I don't represent either party. Right. You know, so, so they're coming into me and, and, you know, my fee could be whatever it's going to be. And then they can choose to share it based on, you know, other factors. I mean, in fact, who's going to pay for the mediation might be something that we mediate about. Yeah. Um, but especially now where so much of court is done remotely, the courts are really, really badly backed up. You could, you could spend, you know, a year, you know, more than what you would have to, if you're going through the court process to get divorced. And then again, you know, generally speaking, an attorney, is probably looking for, you know, you know, a, a $10,000 retainer for a divorce. So that's two, two litigants, the husband and the wife that have to come up with $10,000 retainers. And that's if you get it done within that first $10,000, which is often not in fact the case, right? Uh, a divorce that is done by way of mediation, in some instances, might cost a total of only $5,000, as opposed to the tens upon tens and, and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars that people deal with. In fact, I have a good friend of mine who unfortunately is in a, a, a very, very sad situation 
his divorce has been in the courts for more than six years now. Wow. He himself is has spent close to a million dollars on on the divorce. That that that's a million dollars that is not going to help pay for his kids' weddings. It's a million dollars that is not going to help send his kids to college. It's a million dollars that he's not going to have to set his kids up once they are, are getting married. You frame things in the right context. I mean, like, how can we be so callous as to sacrifice the future of our children because we're angry at our soon-to-be ex-spouse? So I, because you brought up children, I want to go. So we were talking earlier about preparedness. So in order to prepare for this, I spoke to a bunch of uh, friends who have gone through these and and points that you know, they thought would be important to bring up um, on these on these topics. Now they gave me their specifics, but I'm not going to go through specifics. I'm going to do more generalizations. Um, so let's start with children because we're there. So one question that actually was across the board, like everybody who got who, all of my friends who 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 had gone through a divorce with children, asked about parenting time versus custody. What's the difference, and how does that play a role in terms of mediation unless that's something that's more of a, a court thing depending on what state you live in there are different um, laws that apply to parenting time and custody so for example in new york the courts re retain the highest level of, th of authority when it comes to uh, ruling on issues of custody and parenting time so what happens is i let's say i sit with a family for let's just say six weeks, through six weeks of mediation, we, we, we hammer out all the stipulations, we get agreement on everything. We're gonna draft a document called a memorandum of understanding. That document will then be redrafted by an attorney into proper legalese, because being that I'm not an attorney, I don't know all the proper lingo that goes into drafting um, a final divorce, uh, divorce agreement. So. That, and then that document, once it's been drafted by the lawyer, it'll be executed by the parties and it'll be filed with the court. And that makes it enforceable. Now, the court is going to review this document to make sure that there are no, um, for example, like constitutional types of violations in it, like okay. that there's parenting time for both parties, that there's a, you know, a, a child support if it's if it you know falls into the guidelines, that there's spousal maintenance if it falls into the guidelines. So, I, you know, there's certain... Um, rules that I have to follow when it comes to custody and, and parenting time. Otherwise, the court might uh, might void the uh, the agreement. And those are different in every so, state, correct? What's that? And those are different depending on the those state. Those are different in every state, yeah. So when it comes to custody, custody is, is really talking about decision making. You know, like where the kids go to school. Um, God forbid if there are any medical procedures that have to get done um, or, you know, therapy if needed, you know, just like the 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 important decisions that influence the child's life that falls into custody. So, you know, you most often you have parents that share custody of their children, which means that they each have um, equal decision-making power in, um, in their children. Parenting time is just basically how much time the kids spend with each parent. Right. And so, you know, there are a lot of different factors that go into that, you know, uh, work schedules, might be one. Um, how far apart the parents might live from each other post-divorce is another. And, you know, just general uh, attitude, how do I, you know, how do you feel about being a single parent? Um, you know, that's also another factor that would, that will influence uh, the decision about parenting time. 
Do, do you ever bring the children in to talk to them about things or is that not part of your purview? I, I would, I haven't done it to this point. And I no, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you this. I would never do it. <laughs> I would, I would never, ever do it. And the reason is that if I'm bringing in the kids to talk to them, it's because I'm trying to formulate an opinion about some you know, about conflicting stories that I'm hearing from the two parties. And that's really not my role. I'm neutral. Right. I'm entirely neutral in the process. Any mediator has to maintain complete neutrality. I obviously if if I feel that that any party is is compromising, threatening, jeopardizing the process in any way, shape, or form, I will convey that. But for example, if if a husband and wife want to write into their agreement you know just like if the sky is yellow if that's what they agree on fine like i'm not i'm not party to their divorce so if they want to you know have a a, a particular um you know parenting time share if they want to have particular financial obligations they want to send their kids if a couple wants to, if a couple was sending their kids to yeshiva their whole life and they come to me now in, in the mediation proceedings, it comes out, they decide they want to send their kid to public school. So first of all, I would say that personally speaking, I think it's a bad idea to send your kids, to take your kids out of yeshiva and send them to public school because your kids are, are used to a school that has a certain type of atmosphere to it. They, you know, hopefully they were thriving up until now. They're already going through a change of the divorce. Why throw another wrench into their lives? Um, so I would say that I think that that's personally, I think it's a bad idea, but it's not my kid and it's not my divorce. And, and more than giving the best advice I possibly can, it's not my role. I'd be overstepping the scope of, of my role as a mediator and saying, you can't send your kids to public school. You know, if, if there's a dispute over public school versus yeshiva that comes up in the proceedings, again, I will state my opinion. Uh, but I'm not I'm not going to take anybody's side, regardless of whether or not I think it's right or wrong, because at the end of the day, it's not my kid and it's not my divorce. Right. Um, right. You know, but I would I would, you know, I would try to help them, you know, continue the process and broker an agreement that works for everybody. So we can spend, you know, years talking about how to deal with children in terms of a divorce uh but we do i do want to move on to some other issues uh sure. another popular topic that was brought up amongst people was returning uh items how that that process what items are to be returned what items are not to be returned now obviously every divorce is different but i'm from from the mediator's perspective how do you go about mediating between returning items again there's really there's really no specific formula for that just legally speaking, there are certain items that are subject to equitable distribution, um, which means that it gets it would get divided up, you know, if the marriage were to come to an end. So, um, you know, like, for example, heirlooms um, revert back to the to the original ownership to, you know, like that that's just what they do. Legally speaking, there's no legal claim. So um, let's just say, for instance, that that a couple would be arguing over a, a particular heirloom. So if the mother-in-law passed on to the daughter-in-law candlesticks, and now she has become very attached to the candlesticks and does not want them to revert back 
to her husband's family she's stuck right you know that's just it it wasn't it wasn't necessarily gifted to her it's a family heirloom that was given on loan so to speak for the duration of the marriage but i would i would work with this family you know i might say hey listen how about it goes back to the father's family and you write into your agreement that upon marriage of the eldest daughter of the family that it'll it'll be passed on to her Right. So this way, you know, it, you know, it's kind of a creative solution that that could satisfy all the parties. Now, uh, in terms I, of what an heirloom is, now there's a difference between like, oh, this was my grandmother's candlesticks versus my mother-in-law bought me these candlesticks. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. It is different. Right. I right, was making sure that yeah, because that that could also be because then you get into the whole thing with the engagement ring. Yep. And and things like that. But we're talking about heirlooms strictly. They belong to somebody else before the marriage happened. Right. They were they were passed down to yeah. this generation. Yeah. Okay. I mean gifts gifts are gifts. Right. You know, and, and that's just it. You know, and you know, where where that comes up most often, really what I find is uh when when parents or in-laws help a young couple buy a house. If they if they if a large sum of money was put in by by either parent um into the house, how does that how does that get split up? Right. Um and, and, and th- that's a more complicated question. And would I would I would in most cases I end up conferring with with a lawyer on hmm. you know the specific details of what is is uh, what is actually a, a legitimate legal claim and what is not. But then I'll I'll go ahead and I'll advise the parties like okay well you know legally speaking this is what would happen, and you know often if I if I get if I hit an impasse on any particular topic what I'll do is I'll try to put that on you know table that topic. And then try to move on to to other things. And this way I can come back to the couple and say, listen, we've already invested X number of hours and X number of dollars in the media in the mediation process. We have agreement on everything except for these, you know, these handful of, of stipulations. You know, it's really let let's let's try to nail this down rather than, you know, have everything fall by the wayside. Because that's the thing about, about mediation. It's not the mediation process itself is not actually legally binding on the parties until they take the final document and file it with the court. So it, it's kind of like, let's see if we can make it happen. Let's see if we can agree on stuff. And and if we can't, we could still always go to court and, and, you know, and take every, you know, go to the mat over stuff, but at least, at least try to do it this way. Spare yourself the, uh, the fighting. So, I want to get into this is the Jewish Living podcast, and I want to get into some of the more you know Jewish specific issues. Uh, but right before I do that, um, Shalom Family Mediation, which is your company, you're dealing primarily exclusively with the Jewish community, with the Orthodox Jewish community. Um, how, how, who are you? What is your clientele? So my my marketing is specifically focused on the Orthodox Jewish community. Simply because, personally speaking, I have a, the most experience with Orthodox Jewish divorces. Right. Um, that being said, um, it doesn't mean that I would, you know, I, I actually I, I do have non-Jewish clients as well. Right. Um, and I don't turn away anybody's business. Um, but personally speaking, I, I care more about Jewish children and and Jewish divorces than I do about secular you know gentile divorces and, and their children so um 
you know, again, I, I, I got into this, this field more because of my own um, connection with it and my own passion for it than really for anything else. So I'll, I just want to ask a little bit more about that. Um, the importance of finding a mediator and maybe by extension, other people to help out with this, whether it be a lawyer, a therapist um, that understand the orthodox mindset. Um, and I'll come at it from this way. You said you have non-Jewish clients um, and you find yourself to be a little bit more detached from that world. Would you imagine that a Jewish client working with a non-Jewish me uh, mediator might have that same experience? So, I mean, listen, you know, I hear from, and and you're probably in your research, you probably also heard, you know, from from people that have gone through divorces through the secular court system, and the judges, they just they don't understand kashras, they don't understand hashkafa, they don't understand yeshiva, they don't understand yeshiva tuition. So if you go if you go to a judge or 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 a or a gentile mediator and you start bringing up topics like yeshiva tuition. In in the non-Jew in the non-Frum world, yeshiva or private school of any sort, that's for rich people. That that's a luxury. It's not a floor item. Whereas in the Orthodox world, it's a floor item. Right. So a non-Jewish mediator might give uh, somebody uh, an easy out if they say, "I don't want to pay yeshiva tuition." You know, like that's it. You know, you know let, let, let's just say, look. Bottom line is. What happens a lot of times, people get divorced. They don't stay within the same um, hashkafic paradigm after the divorce. You might have, you know, either the mother or the father. Either one might go a little bit more to the right, might go a little bit more to the left. And that actually happened, you know, in, in the case of my divorce, that's what happened. Mm. Um, you know, one of us went a little bit more to the right. The other one went a little bit more to the left. I'm not going to say who, who did what. <laughs> But uh, but that's what happened. So you know, like the 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 hashkafa, the home with the hashkafa that my children grew up with before their parents got divorced, that just does not exist anymore. Right. And it you know, and so sometimes the the hashkafa of the family post divorce becomes a, a touchy subject in the mediation process. Oh, this one's not gonna. This one's gonna have a TV. And we never had a TV before. This one's not going to have a TV. And we always had a TV. This one's going to eat from this kind of hashkacha. This one's not going to eat. You know, all these things um, are, are topics that come up. And these are topics that are important to, to parents and important to children. So you, you want to talk to somebody who has a sensitivity to these topics. So let's. I'll, I'll throw out two different topics and you can take a stab at at either one of them or none of them, whatever you want. So two topics. One, Shabbos and Yontif. Number two, uh, Simchas. Okay. So Shabbos and Yontif. So this is not something that's specific to Orthodox Jews because other other, other religions and nationalities have their holidays. We just yep. happen to have a lot of them. Yes. And and there's restrictions on, like, it's hard. Like, with with, with a secular holiday, you can do morning at this person's house, if they live close enough, and and after and evenings, this person's house. Um, we don't have the luxury of traveling unless they're in literally the same neighborhood, which is what happens, but it's it's not common. Um, so, how does mediation help with with uh, with Shabbos and Yontif, and especially Shabbos comes around once a week, right. um, 
And simchas in terms of uh, spending, in terms of sometimes they have the kid would end up having two bar mitzvah celebrations. Right. Uh, I don't think two weddings is a possibility, but Shabbat Brachos is an issue. So how, how does mediation help with those types of things? So very simple. Mediation helps on all of all of the above because mediation largely uh, reduces hostility and conflict throughout the process of divorce and and really grooms the parties to be able to co-parent much more effectively than they would have been able to had they not gone through mediation right so what happens is let's say let's say they would go to court and and not go through mediation then the lawyers become the super advocate for each party and they're going to say the worst possible things about the other parent in court because they want you know they want to make the other party look bad they're saying the best possible things about their own clients that's just what lawyers do in 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 any field of practice they make their client look really good they make the other party look really bad because they want their client to win now if the two parents were throwing daggers at each other all throughout the litigation process there's still going to be open wounds by the time everything is over so even if they come out with an agreement on how to share Shabbos and Yontav and how to, you know, in the future deal with, with, with Simchas, there's still going to be a lot of bad blood. Mediation by way of, by methodology, it, it really reduces a lot of that, that bad blood from the beginning and encourages co-parenting and cooperation from the very beginning. So the parents are going to make their own decisions about how they want to share Shabbos and how they want to share Yom Tovim. You know, it's, I think that the Jews have it better than the than the Gentiles when it comes to holidays because, you know, like Sukkot and Pesach, we have first days and we have a second days. Right. You know, we have we have eight days of Hanukkah. So, parents that have that really have their best in, the best interests of their children in mind will will come up with reasonable ways of of sharing all of these, uh, uh, you know, Chagim. You know, so first day's here, second day's there. Let's say one of them, one of them that says that they want to go away. So very often what will happen is that there'll be a clause that says, this is the standard. If everybody's staying home, then we split it this way. But if either side has the opportunity to travel abroad or to travel out of state, then, you know, they agree within reason to to let the kids go with the parent is traveling. Okay, and uh, and Simchas. And Simchas. So again, um, you know, nobody, there's no reason why a child should ever have to have two bar mitzvahs or have, you know, or, you know, two graduation parties. People who really want to do right by their kids should figure out a way to sit in the room all together. So, again, by proactively addressing the ill will that often is the outcome of fierce uh, matrimonial litigation, there never becomes an issue of how to deal with the simchas. People who are litigating will never ever think about, you know, oh, let's do a joint bar mitzvah. Like, I'll give you an example, okay? For myself growing up, when I became a bar mitzvah, I had two separate bar mitzvahs. That was not very comfortable for me to have two separate bar mitzvahs. I did my bobayom with my father, and then I did uh, I did something later with my mother. But I'll tell you like this, when when it came time for me to get remarried, my Ufruf was hosted in my mother's backyard. My father came and stayed in the same, in, in the neighborhood, a few doors down by a neighbor that my mother made arrangements for my father to have a place to stay. 
He participated in my afraf, and he even gave a Devar Torah during the Suda in my mother's backyard with my stepfather sitting right there. That was probably the most amazing wedding gift that anybody could have ever possibly given me. Just like to have peace between my parents. At the end of the day, all that the kids want is the kids want to see peace between their parents. When we made um, a bas mitzvah for my stepdaughter and her father was there with his new wife and his parents were, were you know, participants, that really is the best thing that we can do for, for our kids and for ourselves going through the divorce process to do it in a way where the kids don't have to suffer. We can keep going on this, but I, I have one final question for you and then we're going to talk about um, some, some of your projects. Um, what percentage, I can't ask you about what percentage of your, of your cases end amicably because that's a very subjective term, but what percentage of your clients do you think can avoid the court system or avoid or, or, or very minimal amount of court system that you see? So, you know, so I, I, I do, I do both divorce coaching and I do mediation. So when it comes to mediation, I believe that 100% of my clients that come to me for mediation can end their divorce amicably. I believe very much in my talent as a mediator. I believe in the mediation process. And uh, as a human, I believe in the good in people. And, and I think that that's very important you know, to believe in the good in people when it comes to this, this practice. Um, a lot of the time, so of my coaching clients, so some of them are already in court. Um, some of them are already with other mediators. So, you know, if somebody is in court, you know, then I'm going to try, you know, then the, they came to me because they didn't like the way that things were going. So I'll give them another path, maybe a path that can hopefully lead them to, um, to settle out of court, which would be a more amicable solution. Um, or to um, to you know keep the mediation process from breaking down, which would also be a more amicable solution. So, I guess that you know more amicable than what um, I, I believe that I can bring a lot to the table. That mediation and coaching in general um, can bring a lot to the table for anybody who's who's willing to engage in in these topics, um, or to you know engage in these services. I believe that you know somebody who without a coach. Uh, you know, might have spent $150,000 on their divorce with a coach, you know, including what you're paying to the coach might spend only 75000 because you're going to get really good um, guidance in, in that process. Um, and, I, and, and I think that 100% of the time having a, a coach involved or a mediator involved will be less um, acrimonious and less expensive than had you done it without. All right. Um, so, where can people find out about, more about you and uh, and Shalom Mediation? You want you have social media, you have a website. Yeah, we have uh, we have we're we're online everywhere. You can visit us www.shalomfamilymediation.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're all over the place, and you can also find us on the Jewish Living Podcast. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, you're planning on starting a podcast. Um, you know, it's something that has been. Um, that's been coming up is something that I've been hearing a lot about from a lot of my divorced friends. Um, by the way, I just want to throw in one other thing to, for somebody who goes to a lawyer, 
the divorce basically ends when the judge signs off on the order of divorce. But um, for a coach or, or for a mediator, it's not necessarily seen that way. Basically, in every mediated agreement, uh, we put in a stipulation that if the parents uh, are having any trouble um, sticking to the agreement, that they should come back to mediation to discuss whatever difficulties they're having. Um, and, and, and as a coach, you know, really, like, there's a whole process of living as someone who went through a divorce. You know, ha- you know, healthy, developing healthy habits as a divorced parent. So, um, so I have a lot of friends who are in that divorced world that they need guidance, you know, dating, remarrying, uh, you know, just, you know, stuff that you're not used to, whether, you know, have you ever, you know, how, how many times have you done your own laundry? How many times, when was the last time you, you, you know, cooked your own dinner? Just like basic, basic things that, you know, if you were married for 15 years, you're just not used to a lot of these things. So it did become a topic of interest to, to launch, you know, like a Jewish divorce network podcast, um, uh, idea, which is something that, uh, that I'm, I'm laying some groundwork for. Um, it, I, I do think that it's going to be, um, a great asset for the Jewish community, um, especially the Jewish divorce community, but, uh, really it, you know, it helps. I, I believe it's going to help everyone. All right. And when, and if that happens, you can let us know and we'll, uh, we'll blast that out on our social medias as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. All right. But Saul, thank you so much for joining me this week and, uh, and good luck to you. Thank you, Izzo. My thanks to Vital Rothstein for joining us this week. We don't like thinking about catastrophic events. Often, we don't have the wherewithal to avoid the thought of, that'll never happen to me. But bad things do happen, and yes, they can happen to anyone. Perhaps it's important to have difficult conversations about things before they happen. Being aware of what may happen in a divorce is only one area where we can be prepared. In my family, my wife and I have distinct jobs, but we try to make sure the other one knows exactly what to do in case something happens to the other, so we're not caught flat-footed. While the focus of these last two episodes have been about the ends of marriages, they've taught me a lot about preparation and how you can't really know what's coming. I hope you all took something away from this mini-series as well. If you have, please feel free to give us a review and rating on iTunes. A good one, if you please. If you do, and even if you don't, Colto. The Jewish Living Podcast is produced by Srelly Pikus. Our theme song is The Band by A.B. Rottenberg. Follow us on Facebook at The Jewish Living Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at Jewish underscore living. You can also email the show at jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com. The Jewish Living Podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Queen's Jewish Link. <laughs>